Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 106. Now, we've got an oversized episode for you today, or should I say a Jackman-sized episode. Paul Jackman has built a strong YouTube and online following in the makerspace in an unconventional way. Now, he's educated in the skilled trades, but he found his passion and a more artistic approach to building and sharing with others. And the results are Paul building things like a 16 times scale folding knife and a life-size nutcracker, both made out of pallet wood that he has totally broken down and processed off the side of the roads. Today, Paul talks with us about his journey to where he is now and how putting in the time in different aspects of his business has really helped set him apart. Yeah, and Paul's not only one of the most sought after male models on the internet, He's an impressive influencer in the maker community as well. With 260,000 plus subscribers on YouTube and a growing Instagram following, Paul is not only a force to be reckoned with on the two main platforms we focus on here, but is also an avid user of the mystifying Reddit, which neither Brad or I can wrap our heads around. But Paul brings a lot of personality and a very interesting approach to typical menial tasks like Brad spoke about earlier, and we had a blast having him on the show today. Absolutely. This is Really fun. We're going to think you're going to enjoy it. But before we do get into it, we want to thank a new member that joined the MFP patron tribe this week. We had the Makest Workshop. Thank you so much for joining. And if you do want to support the show and get some awesome rewards, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. And without further ado, here's our interview with Paul Jackman. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back to another interview. Uh, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Paul Jackman from Jackman Works. Paul, welcome to Made for Profit, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely, dude. We're excited to have you on and talk about, um, we're going to have a full episode on pallets and, you know, types of pallet wood and, you know, just really just dive in to all things pallet. Yeah, it's like a Jackman size episode. is going to be 10 hours long. Yeah, that's what we're, no, we're not talking about that at all. This is business show. Paul, <laughs> tell everybody, uh, if, if po- folks don't know who you are, Paul is the king of pallets. And uh, but why don't you tell folks about your channel, Paul, for those who might not have seen your YouTube channel or know about you? Yeah, I, I feel bad for those people. But uh, <laughs> Paul, <So do> I. <laughs> Paul Jackman, Jackman Works is my channel, Instagram, YouTube everywhere. Um, I kind of have a, a specialty in, in pallet wood laminations and making giant things, uh, mostly out of pallets, but uh, mostly through YouTube. I uh, full-time content creator right now for almost three years nice. and uh, mostly through YouTube, some through Instagram as well. And they kind of complement each other uh, located in Washington, D.C. and uh, working out of my one car garage in my apartment. Killing it, yeah. The so uh, the the term Jackman sized is is something that a lot of people uh, now have. Well, it's yourself proclaimed, right? Like you love working yeah. in very very large media or not media, but actual finished products, like right, upsizing and scaling things. So, uh, what's your biggest what's your biggest uh, upscaled ratio to date? 
the I just made a giant uh, maker knife, Jacko's maker knife. I went to Italy and visited him for a couple of weeks. That was 16 times scale, um, which right. I worked in metric over there. So, <laughs> well, good for you. It, so, the, it's so hard that's to, like 10.2 <laughs> then? <laughs> yeah, I think it was about 2. a meter and a half long, whatever that is. I don't even know how to say that word. This <laughs> is my vocabulary. Yes. I mean, that, th- that thing was sweet. How was the uh, pallet wood in Italy compared to the U.S.? It was different, but it was perfect for that project. Yeah. It, they're almost all pine over it look, there. It looks but, super clean. Yeah, because because it's pine, it's softer, so they make the slats a lot thicker. Mm, so I could uh, get basically three quarters of an inch out of those slats once I smooth them down. So you get a lot more mass to work with. And this was, you know, this giant glue lamination to get this just giant knife. So I needed material. So that, that worked out. I had a lot of material to work with. I only tore apart maybe nine or ten pallets. To yeah. get that and, the, and another project that I made. I don't know yeah, how you had there. enough room over there. Like Jocko is like squeezed into that building. <laughs> it's it like is. a half car garage, maybe. <laughs> and their cars in Europe are, are like Fiat's. They're, they're so tiny. Yeah. So one car garage is half a garage. Here. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I mean, so um, so I think what, what Brad and Paul are touching on here is is Paul likes to take normal size things and make them what what we we in the YouTube community of makers call Jackman size. Um, and just, just goes nuts with making things huge, um, which is, which is awesome. But what I find interesting is that you're not doing it as much for the sake of however to get it done. It's pretty much always requiring like, uh, intense woodworking. Like you're, you're like making parts to scale out of wood that are typically that are sometimes like forged or, uh, cast or, uh, or even like. They're more like screw so threads, metal. Yeah. Like that. So yeah. like, so like, how how did you get to how did you get to kind of like realizing that there was a niche for an audience of individuals who like things that were either tiny or super sized, and then being like, I'm not I'm not gonna go the, down the beaten path of like buying a screw that's an inch and a half. <laughs> I'm gonna make it out of wood and stuff like that. Because I because I, I think it's a I think it's kind of interesting when people are trying to get into making a product or content or whatever you want to call it. And then they are, they're like, well, I can buy that part or I can, you know, I can just sub that part out. And you're like, nope, this is 100% in-house. I'm doing all of it except for maybe forging a seven foot long blade or something. But right. yeah. how'd you, how'd <laughs> you, how'd you find your way there? I don't know. It kind of happened by accident. Um, I think the first, giants or not really giant but scaled up object i made was a a lego man like a mini fig Mm -hmm. and it was about a foot tall maybe a foot and a half tall um but you know scaling up from the little guy that's that's quite a bit and um that was like a two by four challenge i don't know four or five years ago that that we did on youtube use a single two by four see what you can make out of it and i was like well let's make a a lego man scaled up and um i don't know it kind of just grew from there almost by accident and has become a big part of my brand now where people see giant stuff and they'll tag me on it. Like when Simone, uh, Simone Yetz, when she made a giant pair of scissors, I got tagged so many times on that. People were sending that to me just because, you know, it's, it's a part of what I do now, but it's, it's a ton of fun. Like you said, the making the, uh, the wood threads on screws and stuff. Like I have no reason to do that, but it's a fun challenge. And, and, I get a lot of comments, especially on Facebook. It's like, oh, this is stupid. This is a, a waste of time. Why, why are you doing this? But it's like all of the 
the concepts of the woodworking to make it happen are what's important. Like all the concepts are like really, um, really, you know, good, good woodworking techniques that you could use to make a table if you want to make a table or something like that. Um, my, I made a nutcracker this past, this past Christmas that was six and a half feet tall. It was, it was bigger than me and it was scaled up from a, a little model nutcracker that was, I don't know, maybe eight, nine inches tall and it was all segmented turn. So the whole thing was a bunch of segmented rings. It was about a hundred rings total, uh, which are 20, 20 segments each. So it ended up being about 2000 pieces to build up this nutcracker. And the, the body was like 16 inches in diameter. And then the, the legs were a little bit smaller and it was all turned on the lathe, but it's basically just a segmented bowl. Yeah. Just like a whole lot of segmented bowls <laughs> together yeah. that, and some obscene coconut, <laughs> you know, episodes. Cent- <laughs> Central? Yeah, if, if you've not seen, if you've not seen that video, we'll, we'll, we'll link down to Paul's channel. Lots of great stuff that you can see on his channel, but he, he, uh, so he, <laughs> You have an interesting style, right? Like it, it's, it is definitely like with the upsides. I, I remember when I first started following you, you, you were doing a lot of turning stuff and then a lot of like, you know, shop things and, and things like that. Like as you're at right now, you say you kind of stumbled into it and mm-hmm. it's interesting. I do remember the Lego man that, that long ago, but really, I mean, you've pretty much been only doing this upscaled stuff for the past year. 18 months, something like that. I mean, that it, it seems to me like, and I'm probably missing some in my head, but of some things you've made, but you know, you did, you know, boxes and vases and things in the, in mm-hmm. the past and lighting, uh, you know, is that, have you kind of landed there? I like where, you know, John was going with that, but you know, finding your niche and finding like, not only, so I'll kind of hit it two ways, but first of all is, is like, is the enjoyment of doing the scaling stuff. And now that's become part of your brand because that is like the Jackman brand. And I think that shows how well you've branded is like, you know, you get tagged and all this stuff, right? Like that's when you know that you've been, you've isolated yourself into this niche is like when you're getting tagged and all these things that people relate to Jackman's so like anything pallets, anytime there is a huge stack of pallets, like I immediately think, Oh, Paul. Uh, and I, you know, take mercy on you. And I don't text you every single time with a picture of it. <laughs> like uh, most people do and DM you like, Hey, so like, is that where you landed uh, you know, is that kind of where you're at right now or, or is this just a, a phase that you're really enjoying and not something that you see, you know, as part of your long term plan? Yeah, like I said, it kind of happened by accident. Same thing with the the pallet wood. It's, it's funny. They're very different things. The giant scaled up stuff in the pallet wood. Um, but they're they're I keep doing them for kind of the same reason. And and I I came about them for the same reason, kind of by accident. I, I tried making some giant scaled stuff and, and the same thing with pallets. I made some stuff out of pallets and um, it's, it's unique automatically just because, you know, not many people are going to put the amount of work in to, to scale up. Like, I don't know, a hand plane is a recent one I did was a, a three times scale hand plane. Um, so it ended up being like three and a half feet long. Um, not many people are going to put the work in to do that. So automatically it's unique. Uh, and, and it sets yourself apart just just because of that. And the same thing with pallets, like the amount of work that goes into making stuff out of pallets, at least the way I do it, it's it's very labor intensive. It's it's not a good business move necessarily because of the labor involved, <laughs> but it <laughs> <Right>. has <laughs> it has built really strong branding, which has then, you know, become very, very strong for my business and, and has become a good business move kind of by accident. Um, but the the pallet with stuff 
and and the giant tools get good views. They they all seem to take off and do really well on on YouTube. Um, people really enjoy it on on Instagram. You know, whenever I post stories of the the progress and everything, people really love following the progress as I build it, and I enjoy doing it. And then the brands love it because people get excited about it. And um, like the hand plane, that is a project I made for Rockler. And they they uh, actually came to me because I've been making some giant tools. And they're like, hey, we're coming out with these new hand planes. Let's let's do a little promotion around it. And um, they, the, you know, the people loved watching it happen. I loved making it. And the brand loved, you know, the end product and how, how well it performed. So it was kind of a win-win-win for, for everybody. But, you know, it's a matter of being unique, which is hard to do. Um, there's a lot of people in the space now and the same thing with the videos too. Um, you know, defining your style of videos is not an easy thing to do and, and setting yourself apart is not an easy thing to do, but it it takes time. And, and, um, same thing with that. Like I've kind of been, I don't know, massaging the style of my videos little by little, you know, every video is a little bit different and it's become what it is now. And I think it's, it's fairly unique, um, the, the way that I edit now. Um, and I don't know, that was not a hundred percent plan, but, uh, to a point, you know, in- incremental change is, is always a good thing in, in my book. Yeah. yeah. But that that's the, I, I think the three, th- like the, the through line between all of that is that you're putting in so much work into these videos, whether it's breaking mm. down the pallet wood, doing all the crazy glue ups, doing the scaling and the, the, you know, the detailed work that it takes to make something that big and make it precise and then the editing. So if you guys are not familiar, uh, Paul does a lot of um, transitions and really cool swipes and masking and things in his video. So it's there's a lot of behind the scenes work. I'm sure, you know, whether it's in Premiere or just in After Effects, that there's a lot of frame by frame masking and things like that that uh, takes a long time. So like all those together, like that that, you know, when you get into it, is that payoff, you know, is that how you're separating yourself? Like, I'm just going to work harder on the build, the production and everything just to make it above and beyond. Like the more time you put in, did you see a bigger reward? Like as you put that in, or you're just like, Hey, I I think this would be really cool if I had me walking by the table and putting all the pieces for a glue up down on the table where it looks, you know, I'm in the frame at the same time putting like, those are my favorite cuts where you're (laughs) like putting it down on the table and, and doing those things like, was that just you just keep trying to push it further and further and and that just takes more time or do, are you just a glutton for punishment? Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess. It's, a, it's, it's an easy way to set yourself. Well, easy relative relatively um, to, to set yourself apart if you put in more work um, and, and make a unique a new, unique product because of that, you're going to be able to set yourself apart a lot easier. Um, like the pallet stuff, uh, very few people are going to want to put that amount of work into laminating stuff up, cutting it and and slicing it up and then laminating it again. And, um, I've kind of, you know, come up with a a technique, uh, to do that. And, you know, my brain kind of thinks that way now. Um, but you know, people worry about if they design a table, is somebody going to steal this design and and then make the table and then sell it. But I don't really have to worry about that really. Cause nobody's going to want to copy it. Cause they don't want to put that amount of work in. <laughs> and I guess it's kind of the same thing with the videos, you know, developing your own style is tough and, and, you know, people will try to mimic that. And, and one way to make sure that you're 
uh, you know, always set set yourself apart is by putting a, a just ridiculous amount of work into the the finished piece. Um, like that that hand plane video that I made. That's my most recent video. It took four days to edit, and I that one is more than my average. I'd say I could usually do it in two to three days, uh, but that one I put a ton of work, extra work into, and it was a, a four day edit. But I think it paid off. It's very unique and um, it's doing really well. And, you know, like I said before, it's a win-win for everybody. I, I personally really enjoy it. Like, I I want to make art, really, is, is what my my end goal is, is just making strange pieces of art and finding a way to pay for it. And, and through the YouTube channel, I've been able to do that, um, both through the physical pieces and through the videos. Um, you know, kind of the, the business started, you know, kind of my, my background stories, it started as more of a product-based business is selling Adirondack chairs and desks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, after college, I, I went and worked for a, a contractor as a construction estimator for three years. And, um, that was, it was good. I, I didn't mind it really. It was a desk job, which kind of sucked, but I, I worked with some really good people. My boss was amazing. And, um, the whole estimating crew was just a, a cool group of people. And, um, they, it was kind of a, a, a weird, a weird, uh, coincidence i guess my wife joined the the coast guard so um i was planning on quitting my job we we kind of worked something out where i I would work remotely and keep doing it and keep working with them when we moved because you know you join the military they they tell you where you're gonna go um but my they they fired my boss about a month before we were supposed to move and i was like well if he's out i'm out so i quit my job then at that point and i was like well let's let's see the youtube channel had i don't know 20 30,000 subscribers like I had no no business taking that full time at that point but I was like well you know it's it's got some traction I think I got something special here and I had background in woodworking be, before uh before college I went to a vocational high school um so I had the knowledge base built up to do it so I knew that that I had you know some potential there and um we we ended up moving to Rhode Island and and I said you know give myself a year see what I can do you know 100 miles an hour for a year and, and see what can happen, see what kind of traction I can build up and, and see if I can build the channel. Um, because, you know, I want to build it up as an online business for, for a couple of reasons. One reason is, is because I can move that around with me. If I'm a product based business and I'm trying to sell stuff to clients locally and I'm moving every three years, like that doesn't really add right. up. It doesn't work out. Um, so the, the online business, I can do it anywhere as long as I have internet and, and also building up the channel meant that I could make more unique things which is really what I wanted to do is make like just abstract weird art stuff uh, that I had a fun time building. Um, so through that, that one year in Rhode Island, I was able to build up the channel. So I had sponsors and, and I was um, just with the client work, I was backed up a couple months, two, three months at a time uh, with work. So I had enough client stuff and then I, I got client jobs that I could then make videos out of. So kind of the videos were paying for themselves just with the client stuff. And, and, um, I've moved after a year, we actually moved to DC. So we we're only in Rhode Island for a year um, and moved the whole shop to DC. And from that point, I really, I haven't sold anything physically. I think I've sold one thing in DC since we moved here <laughs> almost two years ago, <laughs> but it's all just on, online. Now it was a slow transition. Like I started a hundred percent, pretty much a hundred percent with product stuff and 0% with uh, sponsored content and uh, slowly transitioned over, I don't know, two years, I'd say, to completely, almost completely get out of making product and 100% just being online, content-driven stuff. 
Yeah, I've taken a very similar route, and I was actually it was I was like uh, super impressed by your your early content. Um, specifically, like love your Adirondack chairs. You've always put a twist or some sort of artistic touch on on pretty much anything you build. Um, and what I think is like sort of a takeaway for our, for our listeners who are in the product sphere is that you know if you go back and look at Paul's content throughout his in, the entire time you've been putting stuff on YouTube. There's always been a unique twist to to basically anything, at least what you've produced content on um, in, in whether it's the material or a design element or the story behind it. And uh, and, and from outside perspective, it kind of seemed like that's where you've taken your your brand and your business is always emphasizing the uniqueness or the individuality of uh, yourself and, and what Jackman Works stands for. Um, and, and in any business, you know, that differentiation point or the the things that set you apart are, are what actually make you valuable. And that's whether you're making a product or content. And I think what's uh, sort of interesting about your brand is that, um, you know, going back to the pallet wood thing is that pallet wood has a negative connotation from most furniture makers. Um, mm-hmm. And why is that? It's it's because it's it's typically junk in a lot of contexts. But you can find some gems and, and you you do put the work and effort into turning pallet wood into things that you would never be able to conceive pallet wood being used for. And that's what the interesting element of it is. But on the other side, you're always emphasizing quality. Like you're not cutting corners because your materials aren't allowing you to do things. You're mm-hmm. figuring ways to make the materials work for you. Like like even your uh, I don't remember what you used for the parts in your screwdriver uh, casting that you did. Oh, but I'm but if, but, I, but I'm pretty sure that your mold was made from pallets, right? Or, it was or uh, plywood, plywood, plywood scraps. So it was scraps. Yeah. Um, but like a lot of a lot of us look and go like, you know, well, we can't use that material because the market for it is, you know, touching less less price point. And um, I think what the the kind of way you've approached making things is that you don't let the material or anything basically dictate the end product is that you're going to get there by putting in the time and the effort and you're going to make a quality product by the end of it. And I think that's something important when you're looking at any any type of you know, making anything with your hands, um, specifically in custom work, is that like if you get if you get product or you have a client asking for a specific material type or something and you don't feel like it's going to be able to fit your uh your design or whatever you're looking to do, you can always reimagine it. And that's what I love about your channel is that like, if you want to make an end grain live edge, uh, whatever it's possible, like you just have to be able to use your imagination and get creative with it. If that material doesn't exist in the real world, you can, you can make it happen. Um, that's sort yeah. of, and that's sort of what you've brought like uh shined a light on. And I think makes you extremely unique is that, you don't let the material dictate what's happening is you, you make the material do what you want with it. Um, and specifically you've just chosen to do a lot of reclaimed and pallet wood. Uh, and, and I, and I find it super interesting. So for, for anyone listening, that's, you know, potentially not is thinking like, Oh, Paul just makes this pallet wood stuff and I've never seen it, but I can't imagine it's any good. Like, no, really go check it out. Um, cause it's, it's got a lot of like really intricate woodworking techniques using materials that like a lot of us just don't even like to touch. Um, and I've done tons of reclaimed wood projects and like I, going down the, the rabbit hole of the pa- way you use pallet wood is a whole different monster. Um, and it's really, really impressive. And I think that there's a great takeaway for anyone making anything and how you could turn something that potentially the market is saying it's one thing and make it something completely different. And 
And no one would know the difference, right? Like if you weren't telling people it was pallet wood, they would just think it's a ridiculous laminations. Right. They, they wouldn't, they would never know that like that came off of like, you know, the military base um, where you're <laughs> stacking the, uh, you're stacking your element to the, to the sky with, with pallets <laughs> to drive them home. So um, I think there's a really good takeaway in that, that, that uh, from a branding standpoint, from a differentiation standpoint, these are things we always talk about on the show um, that you that you do a, a really, really good job at. Um, so you're kind of pivoting or, or continuing to go forward a little bit. You know, your woodworking experience, um, you were kind of just touching on it, but like you have like a wealth of woodwork for someone that's in a one car garage doing uh, from what they make it seem like, you know, basic material type work. Like your wealth of knowledge is absolutely incredible. Like where are you, where are you learning from? And like, how are you pulling all this in? Cause it seems like you've always got some trick up your sleeve uh, or something, you know, and, and, and I'm always interested to know where people are kind of learning from. Yeah. Um, I, I was very lucky. I went to a vocational high school for four years. Mm. Um, I'm, do it. I'm, I'm 28, so I, I haven't been doing this that long, really. Um, so I was really lucky to be able to build up this wealth of knowledge early and kind of been growing it slowly from there. But it was a, a four-year program, a regular high school, and it was set up so it was like every other week we had full weeks in the shop, in the wood shop, and then the opposite week for regular academic classes like you know your math and sciences and all that stuff. Um, so it was it was an amazing amazing place to be the first two years you do like specifically woodworking you make a, a toolbox you make a, a stool and shaker table and then uh, from there you can kind of make your own own projects um, you know along with the guidance of the teachers and then uh, the second two years are are focused on like carpentry like remodeling uh, framing siding all that stuff like all the way from from foundation up to the finished uh, the finished carpentry inside the the house um, so I did a lot of a lot of work with that. The the uh, school would build sheds or like boat docks or um, they would actually go out during the day, take the whole class and we would work on a, a project on site and, you know, put up siding for the full day or something like that. So you get to learn basically every aspect of woodworking and carpentry and kind of dip your toe in the water with everything. And um, also while I was there, there's a co-op program, which is basically during your shop weeks, you go and work for a local carpenter, uh, wood shop, anything like that. So um, during my junior year, I worked for a remodeling contractor and you actually get paid to work while you're supposed to be at school. So it was like incredible. <laughs> it was like the best thing ever for a high school kid. Um, so I, I worked, you know, every other week full time for a remodeling contractor. And, and he actually was putting an addition on a house when I started. Uh, they had just put the foundation in the ground. So I was able to see that project all the way from from the ground up to the finished piece. And I worked on every little part of that. Um, then during my senior year, I had a different co-op with um, it was like a CAD drafter. Uh, he did like steel detail designs. So like um, shop drawings, basically doing uh, taking the architectural drawings and then getting all the details for the shop, the, the metal fabricators. Mm. Um, so it was just another, you know, I don't know. Uh, another additional concept like the CAD stuff is stuff that I still use today. Yeah. Uh, doing the drawings and drafting and design and, and, and things like that. Um, same thing with the construction estimating like that. That's come in handy for sure. Uh, with, with what I do now. And I don't know, I guess it's just from, from there, like that gave me the foundation of the knowledge. Um, and then working in the field, like you get to work with these old woodworkers who, 
have have been doing it for years and years and years and um my my old shop teacher in in high school he was an old boat builder in maine like that's how he started and and uh kind of evolved from there and i learned all these tricks from him that i never would have learned all these techniques and and uh just hacks i guess is what you call them now but (laughs) woodworking hacks um and i've (laughs) I've used those in, in my videos too and it's like nobody would 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 know how to you know these quick little tricks um to do this stuff if they didn't learn from an old woodworker like i did um so a lot of the that knowledge is is um kind of held back on youtube if, if you're just learning learning from that um so that's one of the things is i'm trying to take those tricks and, and put them on youtube so people can learn from that um but then anyway from from high school it kind of evolved from there over over the summers i actually went to college uh, for civil engineering I wasn't planning on it, but I graduated in 2009 and I was like, well, I'm not going to get a job. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go to college instead and, and spend a bunch of money on, on a piece of paper. So <laughs> I, uh, I did that. Right. And, um, over the summers and over vacations, when I went back home, I was building decks and working, uh, just building stuff to mostly to pay for college, but also, uh, to learn. And, uh, you know, through those four years, I did that. The, the side jobs actually paid for school. I was able to, to, to pay for college a hundred percent with, with that side work. And, um, then from, from there, I, when I left college, I set up a small wood shop in my apartment basement, uh, up near Boston. It was, it was a small space, but it was a workspace. And from there, um, through making the YouTube videos, I've kind of learned just little by little new stuff, new techniques. Um, the same thing with the videos. I try to add in a new special, uh, editing trick with every video and that's how I've learned video editing like I have zero professional training or anything with video editing it's just been learned by doing and a lot of that's been through woodworking too like each project I try to add a new technique uh, a new trick um, to kind of force myself to learn something new and then I carry that forward on all, all my future projects um, and and the giant tools and the pallet wood that's part of the driving factor behind that is that like especially the giant scaled up tools, like there's no prescribed way to build yeah. a three and a half foot long hand plane. Like there's no there's no instruction manual on You're that. You're not getting a plan for that one anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so just because of that, you you automatically are learning new techniques and stuff. Like even now, every project I learn something new. Um, going into that that hand plane, just to keep that example, I had no idea how I was going to do that, and it was just one step at a time. It's like, well, I need to scale up the frog. Like, how am I going to build up this cast metal piece out of wood? And it's just one step at a time. And now I, I learned from that and I kind of carry that knowledge forward. Like making the wood screws, like that's a big thing. I, I made a giant utility knife, which had one screw in it. And I I did that and I, it took me 12 attempts to get one screw that was good. Wow. And I said, well, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> Yes, and then I ma- I made the hand plane that has like nine screws in it. Yes, and you that, were screw pro then. <laughs> that I I I like <laughs> I like your your tongue in cheek style of editing too, Paul, and just even from uh you know just watching your old videos, like you're you're very like there's no you're not trying to put on any front uh you know you're just goofy and and then like the way that you just you know make all these crazy jokes and whether like the one that really got me the other you know i can't remember which video it was is uh sometime this year is who and you're applying glue and you're like standing there 
like with your back to the camera and you can just see your legs and then the glue just starts like dropping down from between your legs. I was like, oh my gosh, Paul's gone too far. What is going on here? <laughs> right, exactly. That's just the, I think that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Challenge accepted. Exactly. When you, so like when, when you're, when you're thinking of these ideas and, and like, so you've got all these things going on, right? Like you're like, man, how do I make this, this screw? And you know, it's taken me 12 times. I'm not, I'm obviously not going to back down. Like, but at the same time, looking at your videos, like there's obviously a ton of pre-planning that goes into it to get the shots that you want. Um, you know, how, how do you balance those two? Because like for me, you know, I would immediately be like, oh my God, like I'd want to hone in and be like, I've got to get making this screw right. And then, and I, I do this all the time in my projects, I'll, I'll get done with the thing. I'll be like, oh, dude, I totally forgot to take that shot that I was thinking about taking because I was so into the project. Uh, I mean, does that just come naturally for you that you think so much about the video? Like when you're making the project, how do you balance those two in your head about like, are you thinking about the video the entire time as well as the, the process and you're just able to mix those or how does that work for you? Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff is is pre-planned when, I, when I'm making the video and when I'm shooting it, um, like some of the editing tricks and stuff, like you have to plan it out uh, for the edit. But I'd, I'd say a lot of it just happens in the edit. Um, you know, just thinking about things one step at a time, I guess, is is a big part of of what I do. Like, I don't go into a project necessarily with it 100 percent planned out. Um, you know, you kind of go into it having a rough idea of what the finished piece is going to look like and kind of how you're going to get there. And then, you know, kind of back up a little bit and then just go, you know, what's the first step? How do we how do we, you know, get these pieces glued together? How do we clean up the pallets? Like, you know, how do we take the pallets apart most efficiently and um, you know, get the best yield out of the pallet, then, okay, the pallet's apart. How do we, how are we going to laminate this together? Um, like, I guess the Nutcracker is a good example. I, I went into that project. I had the little model Nutcracker and I had kind of a rough, you know, I had, I scaled it up, you know, on, on SketchUp, I had a rough drawing and I was like, well, this is how big it's going to be. So this is the final scale based on the size of my tools. Basically the lathe was maxed out at, at 16 inches. And my end goal was to crush a coconut with the Nutcracker. So I kind of started, I was like, well, I'm going to make this little guy big and I'm going to crush a coconut and, you know, let's go. And <laughs> I started from there and I was like, well, what's the first step? I need to cut all these pieces and, and, and make these rings. So how do we make a hundred rings out of, you know, what's the material? And, and you kind of just go from there one step at a time. Um, you know, just like with anything, not, not to get like philosophical or anything, but you know, with life, like, you know, taking big steps is overwhelming, but if you break it up into a bunch of small steps, you know, if you try to think, what am I going to be doing 10 years from now? Like that's, it's impossible. Like, I don't think it's even worth thinking about that. But if you think, oh, what am I going to do, you know, this month, what am I going to do next month and kind of have a rough idea of what your year is going to look like, you know, just taking it one step at a time is, you know, taking a small bite of a, of a big, of a big piece. Um, I guess that, that, that kind of flows through my my life philosophy as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, Thinking about it. that is, that is uh, a way that you also see evolution too. Right. I mean, I, I do yeah. I think, you know, you sort of, what's your five-year plan, what's your 10-year plan. And I, and you know, I'll do some of that as far as like major goals, but at the same time, like you, you can't foresee all the little things. And like, you know, like you said, like you, probably five years ago, you wouldn't have ever imagined you'd be building a six and a half foot tall <laughs> Coconut I can 100% nutcracker. say this, this was not the plan. <laughs> right. Uh, but but somehow here you are. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think I love that idea of um, 
uh, uh, just letting it flow too, and not being so rigid in what what you think you should be that you can allow yourself to be open for change. And and that's I'm I'm proud of you, Brad. You know, I know I just proud I, of you for admitting that. No, I just I like that you do it, so I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I my my ten year plan is locked in. I'm on step thirty seven right now. Or, <laughs> We're good. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, I believe you. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm just like sitting here thinking about your editing style and, and thinking about you know the the little transitions and things you do and um and and talking about you know you're saying your edits take two to three days. So just to put that in perspective for folks, uh, you know my edit is probably a day. I remember John when John was doing his own edits way back in the day. Hey, John would be like, oh yeah, I just edited a video. It's four hours. I'm like, I hate you. And like Jackwood is like four times that. So like how much footage do you actually shoot when you're doing, you know, at the end? And I don't know if you ever drop in, like how many hours of footage do you say you'd have for a project just to kind of give folks a, a little more insight into, you know, how much you put into this stuff? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know how many hours I shoot. I know I usually have about 200 clips two to 300 clips for a video for a, a 15 minute long video that of raw footage, right. Edited in. I probably end up with more than 200 clips when I, you know, chop it all up and slice it together. <laughs> oh, for but, sure. I can know. only imagine what is on the cutting room floor at Jackman works. Like, you know, like, are the, do, you, do you go in there? Like, like, like John was saying, like, Oh, we, we haven't even seen enough. Like, are, are there points where you just like, you're like, that's too much. Or do you just let it all hang out? Are we, are we seeing everything? Or are there clips in there where you're just, you know, savagery, like, I don't know, slicing snakes open and like pouring glue out of them or something like. <laughs> I don't know. There, I say most of the jokes probably make it. There's a few things that uh, I'll go back and I'll be like, ah, it's a little cringy. Let's keep that one out. Uh, but I throw enough jokes in there that when you cut a few out, you don't you don't miss them anyway. But I, I'm just looking back here. The hand plane video, just for a sense of scale, that one has 500 gigabytes of footage. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> oh, is that is that at 4k or, or 1080 it's it's mostly in in 1080 at 120 frames a second okay well that's some slow that yeah. is a lot yeah that's about five times this the file sizes of my projects for reference <laughs> there so yes which makes sense because uh you know the stuff you're building is about five times as big and <laughs> yeah five times as yeah, much and, work and and it's repetitive too so i get a lot of different shots and that works out really well for the videos because i'll make the same cut a hundred times and i'll film it 10 times from different angles and then i cut all that together and it looks like i have you know five cameras set up right so it, it works well for the video edit because the more the more angles and the more the more clips that you have the more professional it looks and the easier it is to engage an audience you know if you have you know, a, a long 10 second clip of you pushing a, a board across the table saw, that's not very engaging. But if you have six different angles, seven different angles, each clip is like maybe a second and a half or something. And you kind of cut it all together. You get to see different angles, different aspects of, uh, you know, different perspectives of, of how you're cutting a board. It's a lot more engaging, a lot more entertaining. Yeah. And, it, it, uh, with the repetitive projects, it kind of it works out well. Right. Yeah. I know like one of the staples of your editing is the uh, because you do so much. You have so many pieces is like ripping the one board and then they just stack up. So you're kind of like flowing just that says to the next frame. But it's the next frame of the next cut or the next, you know, half second of the next cut. And then, you know, you start with no with all the boards on the left uncut. And then by the time you're done making that one 
kind of seamless looking cut, they're all stacked up on the right, you know, like that. Like I, I really, uh, I would highly encourage, even if, you know, if you can get past the cringeworthiness and, and uh, the palette woods and, and, and Paul's off color humor, uh, just your video editing style. Like it is, I, I watch your stuff and I'm always like looking, you know, I like the projects, but honestly, like I like watching the edit and I know I, I've seen a lot of that in your comments too. Like, I think that that's another thing, like you said, that's setting yourself apart is that, um, you know, why do people come to your channel? Why do people come to anybody's channel and how do you set yourself apart? Like you're doing it in multiple ways. And one of those ways is that editing and you're kind of pushing the boundaries. And I remember when Jay Bates was doing that, you know, two or three years ago, he was one of the first to do kind of that masking, you know, where I, I vividly remember that first time that he like, Fed, and there he, he was getting the two people on him himself, helping himself on camera and feeding the board over and then having himself grab it. And it looked like seam. And I was like, what? Ah, what just happened? Like, how, how did he yep. do that? And, and, and you, yeah, that was totally an inspiration for me. Yeah. I remember I, watching that stuff, too. And you, you've taken it to the next level. Uh, so I, I think for folks who are trying to, you know, it might seem overwhelming, but at the same time, uh, you know, hearing you say like, hey, I, like, I don't have a background, like you're not a a media student or anything like that, that you've learned it all. Where, what are some of the places that you have that you go to, to learn those tips and tricks? Is it just YouTube, Google, or, or do you use, you know, any of the learning services out there? Uh, a lot of YouTube, uh, the, basically when I think of, of a trick or an editing trick or something, I was like, there's gotta be a way to do this. And you just Google it or on YouTube. Um, you, there's always a, a tutorial telling you how, especially in, in premiere, like there's so many tutorials telling you how to do stuff. Um, so if you want to do something, there's someone out there telling you how to do it. Um, so like, like I said before, just incremental stuff. Like I've, I've built up all these, these little tricks as the videos have, have gone on over the years, um, and, and slowly learn those techniques. Um, specifically cinecom.net is a, is a channel. I think that's the name of it. Cinecom. Never heard of it. Cinecom. We're getting all the education over here. I know. We're, we're, all like, we're taking yeah. notes. Next thing you know, Brad's going to be talking to like <laughs> seven Brad. See, so we, we've done the duplicate C I N E com.net. And, uh, and I think like uh, what I, what I love about your content is that you're one, you're fearless, like in the, in the, in the way you edit and like, you're not really sitting there going, well, you know, the maker community wants this. And I, and I'm like, I have a very similar mindset in that. I'm like, screw it. If people are taking, you know, in other verticals on YouTube and they're and they're interested in this and that and they like cinematic and they like this, like, let's go for it. And I, and I love that you're you're fearless in that context. But I but I also think it's important to realize uh, when you when you look at, like, uh, say, the photography or videography industry or, or, or a place like that in content specifically, that those audiences very much value and appreciate production value within their content, right? And if you if you look at someone like uh, Peter McKinnon, who Brad and I have talked about on the show, he talks about how if you want to do anything custom uh, client work wise, you need to be bringing it as far as production value, um, and that's really where you can make yourself stand apart. And people mm. subconsciously uh, appreciate the effort that goes into it, and like I know I do because I know that you put so much time and effort into making not only absurdly complex projects, but very entertaining and complex edits to complement the project. Um, and so when you're creating content, you know, it's not just over when the project's done. Like, and this is something I used to do that to a fault is why my channel, um, 
isn't as large as it probably could be. It was because I was always putting emphasis on get the project done, get the, get the video out, get the project done, get the video out instead of being like, it's the most valuable way I can present this project to my audience. And I feel like that, you know, in everything you're talking about, that's exactly what you're doing, right? You know, you're, you're thinking not only for yourself, but how much can I enjoy this? But if, if people are like me watching my stuff, what can I do to make this entertaining and valuable to them? And I think anyone looking, we get, Brad and I get so many questions about starting, you know, content creation and getting on YouTube and Instagram, whatever, put that emphasis first, right? Take, take this example of how Paul's doing it and put the um, emphasis on how you can make it entertaining and valuable to your audience and not just easy on yourself. Um, put that first and you'll definitely see, you'll see, you'll see wins before you'll see lose losses, right? Like that, that time suck of the edit will be more valuable on the back end, um, like in the long term, uh, more so than it will be uh, just, you know, having to suffer through sitting in a chair and editing it or whatever it might be. Um, Cause I think that's a consistent through line in your stuff, right? Paul, is that like mm-hmm. you're willing to put in the time and the effort regardless of it's upfront in the project or if it's sourcing a material or if it's doing R and D for the project or on the back end, if it's in the production. Um, and I think that kind of through line is why one, why you're successful uh, to why your audience is so bought into the brand uh, into that like Jackman concept idea um, and and three on um, why it continues to grow. Uh, so, you know, for the for the listeners who are who are looking for a little bit of insight there, I think that's a, a great a great takeaway from your editing, even if you're not doing editing right um, yeah, on, and, and on a way to be good at it. And being real is is super important. Like if, if you're being disingenuous, like people are going to notice immediately, like it's very easy to pick up on and. Um, I don't know, just having the right motivation behind what you're doing is very important. And like, I, I just want to have fun really, uh, making these amazing art pieces and, uh, just having fun doing it. And, um, you know, by extension, the, the audience has fun watching me do it cause they see me having fun and they know that I'm, I'm really having fun creating this stuff. So, um, you know, by extension, I, I think that just kind of, um, they, they absorb that from, from the videos, from the builds too. Um, but like I, I never got into this with the intention of making money like that was never a driving factor. And it's really, it's still not a driving factor, um, which as a, you know, a, a business owner, like that sounds like a bad thing to say, but um, that's, that's maybe two or three steps behind on, on what, uh, what my, my, my motivations are. Um, like I'm still making a comfortable living. I'm doing this full time. I'm paying the bills, but I'm also, you know, having a fun time doing it and, and, um, you know, creating some real value for people, not just a, like a perceived value. Like I'm actually, um, you know, pushing forward these, um, you know, unique, unique things. Um, even if, if it costs me a little extra time, um, if I can, you know, create something special, I think it's worth it. Even if it, it costs me a few more hours. I think it's always worth it to go the extra mile for your customer, your audience, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're rarely going to look back and be like, man, I wish I hadn't have put in that extra time. I mean, that's, <laughs> I don't know. That I've heard very many people say that. But one of the things, yeah, too, it's good for everybody. It, yeah, it's good for every the, the brands keep coming back. I, I work effort. with with brands like over and over and over again because they appreciate the, the amount of time and effort that I put into stuff. So that means like I've been able to uh, Carolina Shoe is a huge sponsor of mine. And I've you know, I have like year long agreements with them for a, a set number of videos every year. Um, and we've been doing that for the past two and a half years now or so. And they keep coming back because of the amount of time and dedication that I put into the project. So 
I know that, you know, I can almost count on that 100% for next year. So I don't need to worry about the the five or six videos or whatever that we'll do next year. Like I know that's almost guaranteed. Um, so I don't need to worry about that. Yeah, you're out there. Your focus is hitting home runs for them too, right? Like you're not just slapping an ad on a on a video like a lot of us do and just out the door like, cool. All right. Got their ad spot like on in the next. You're like, wait, how can I make this shoe into a lamp mm. mm-hmm. and then like running with it, which is which is awesome. I mean, let's be honest, like, you know, the I know Brad and I uh, put a lot of time and effort into the brands we work with and how we can better incorporate and do and more, a lot of in it's that's called an integrated advertisement um, is, is a lot of what you do. But like you're just taking it to the next level. And I think that's like that's basically like the Jackman way. Right. It's just like whatever it is next level, whether it's, you know, the project or the ad. Um, and, and, and like we were just saying, I don't think it, it's ever going to result in a in a bad thing on the back end. And that's working with any type of client. And essentially that's what that's what you they the, the brands are for you is that they're a client. You know, you're out there to to crush it for them, which is awesome. Yes. Yeah, what we love. You see what people are see what people are doing and try to figure out how to make that special and make that unique. Like that the palette projects evolved the same way. Like I saw people making like palette walls and 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 things like that. Just, you know, kind of taking the rustic material and slapping it up on a wall and it looks cool. I like it. I still like it. But I, I saw that. And I was like, there's more to it. There's something else there that I don't think people are taking advantage of. And that's when I started doing like the big laminations and actually using the raw material and the colors and and the unique aspects of that material and taking advantage of that. Um, and I didn't see many people doing that. So um, I kind of took that in, in, and ran with it. And um, the same thing with the videos, like it's, it's easy to read like a 30 second ad spot and like that's fine for some people. I, I, I appreciate that. But for me, like I want to do something more and something different. So that I think I've only done one video where I've read like a, a 30, 60 second ad spot and all the other ones have been fully integrated. Um, whether I'm using the tools of the sponsor or whether like somehow I incorporate a work boot into the video or the Carolina logo into a video, um, kind of the whole video is an ad in a way. Like the whole 15 minute long video is an ad, but it doesn't feel like it because it's integrated and it's spread throughout that 15 minutes. Um, so I think the viewers appreciate that because they're not getting hit with like an ad read. And um, I know I appreciate it because I feel more genuine personally. Um, it's just personal preference there. But and then the um, the brains appreciate it because, you know, you get that logo in front of people's faces uh, a lot longer than oh, just yeah. a, a quick little ad read. Um so, you know, depending on, on how you want to do it, different people do it different ways. But I've, I've found that to really fit well with my brand and, and with what I want to do. You can get a lot richer relationships, too. And that's what I, I really like about what you're doing there, Paul, is that and there is a trade off. Right. So if you were like, hey, I, you know, either I have a certain amount of money I need to make, you know, to cover living expenses, whatever those things are, obviously, uh, you know, so your wife also has a job, so I'm sure that helps with you mm-hmm. guys. And so you have a little bit of leeway there. Uh, but that, you know, for some people out there that they have to take those or they feel like they have to take those just for volume and be like, man, I've got to get the I got to do the Squarespace and the Skillshare and the filter by and all these other ones that are out there that those are are not those are hardly ever going to be an integrated ad. They're almost always that mid-roll ad spot. Hey, if you haven't heard about which is fine. And, and, you know, they have their place, uh, but completely agree with you. Like you can get a richer experience with something yeah. that you're using. And that's why I love the same thing. I love, you know, the brands that I work with 
and like being able to to talk about Jet when it's like like that's not a stretch for me to ever talk about Jet because I have all you know Jet tools in my shop or or Rigid having those tools because you know you're it it's completely seamless because you're already using it and maybe you're taking you know your videos are a little bit different Paul in the sense that uh I mean you don't do voiceover for most of yours and you'll do the mm -hmm. you know you'll do an outro a lot of times where you're sitting there talking but um where you're in a video and you're like, oh, by the way, here's this tool that I'm using. You've already seen me use it. You've seen me use it in other videos and just giving a little bit more information or in your sense, you know, at the end, you'll talk about Carolina and you'll talk about, you know, what a great sponsor they are and how much you love their boots and, and all those things, as well as showing the branding, you know, putting their logo on a hundred pallet shot glasses, you know, <laughs> which will immediately kill you if you drink out of them. Uh, if you believe the internet, it'd be a good way to go out, but <laughs> it's good. It's good for engagement. I'll tell you that. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I do love that idea, uh, because, you know, I, I can think of four or five sponsors that I associate with you specifically, Paul, because like you said, yep. you keep coming back to them. Right. Yep. So I'm like, dude, Paul's about Rockler, Arbor tech, obviously Carolina. And like thinking about those ones that totally. in total boat that, you mm -hmm. know, that when that's another thing, now, there is a flip side to that, right? There is a flip side to that, that uh, and, you know, a lot of those companies that we just mentioned are, are smaller companies, which is great. As you start getting tied in with larger companies, you know, you do have, there is, you know, I've had a sponsor recently drop me and, and all their other people because their marketing budget got completely cut and I had this yeah. great relationship with them. So there is a flip side to that. But at the same time, uh, it it is so much more genuine to be able to, to just and they're great relationships, right? I mean, I know that you personally know all those folks at those brands and mm -hmm. have made great relationships and that as long as the money is there to be spent, you know, Jackman's going to be in the top tier of all those. They're going to be like, yeah, I have no absolute. We're, like if they cut the money, it's going to be everybody else that's doing the onesie twosies versus somebody like you who has really bought in and goes the extra mile for the the sponsor as well like I, I think that you know you set a really great example of how to work with sponsors for folks looking at you know how, what what does that look like and how do you do it genuinely and and how does it not just look like an ad i, I think you really do an awesome job of that yeah i agree yeah. thank you very thank you. very commendable people tend to not not um recognize that they they notice when they don't like an ad but they don't <laughs> right. notice when they don't notice one. an ad. Yeah, you know? but that's the beauty. And that, yeah, that's it's like one of those things that like the success is when it's not noticed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. It's like the same thing, like a piece of furniture. Like when when somebody, uh, you know, feel like, oh, like you have that thing versus like, I mean, obviously, if you have a really nice finish and people do that, but like really good joinery, a lot of times is not noticed because it's just so seamless and smooth. Uh, to the untrained yeah. eye, right? I mean, like yeah, you only you know, notice when there's a problem, right? Exactly. Like another woodworker is going to be like, "Oh my gosh, that's amazing!" But like any Joe or Jane off the street is just going to be like, "Oh my gosh, that's a great looking piece of furniture," and not mm -hmm. think about how seamless the joints are. But if there's a an eighth inch gap in between, you know, your breadboard and the side of the table, like right after you make it, they're going to be like, "Why is that there?" You know, type of thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that having it not noticed is probably a good thing versus a bad thing. And then the people in the know are the ones that are like, dude, you're, you're banging this out, man. This is a really good job. Yeah. And, and I'll admit too, like I'm leaving money on the table a hundred percent. Like, um, I could, I could read uh video game ad spots like Vikings. for every video dude, and you make should, but money. Let's be real though, Paul. I mean, <laughs> Viking, how are you turning down war of, you know, Vikings and like, like, like you are perfect for that. I can see you in like a Viking helmet, you know, <laughs> full on pallet shield, 
dude, this is actually brilliant. How have you not made I, like, I might be able to pull it off. Yes. But, I think that yeah. one would actually be super genuine. You need a pallet shield and a yeah, Viking world of Viking Warcraft ship, you know, whatever. Yeah. War of tanks. <laughs> War of tanks. tanks. I, I think there's a niche there for you, actually, Paul. Yeah. All pallet wood. Yeah. <laughs> They seem to have money to spend, so I don't know. Maybe. Oh, they they do, but uh, but yeah, those, those <laughs> there are, and a lot of you know, a lot of us do pass over the ones like that, and um, and you know, there are new ones coming out, and you know, maybe that that whole one we were talking about the uh, yeah, we won't go there, but you know, there there's some yeah, other there's, there's a lot of ad spots I just say no to just because I don't want to work with the associated they are. right yeah 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 it's more important to me than than the money, and I mean different people have different priorities. Like, I don't judge people for doing a video game ad spot, but that's just not for me. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm leaving money on the table, but my pro- priority really isn't making money, I say, as as a business owner, which <laughs> seems seems counterintuitive, but uh, that's just not what drives me. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that that is a, the delicate balance of being an artist and owning a business, right? It's like you, you ha- and, and you do a great job of balancing it. You can find a lot of uh, I'm putting quotes in the air artists who really, really struggle to monetize what they're doing. Um, and you've yeah. done a great job of being able to, to do both, right? You, you're running uh, you're happy one and you've, you know, like you, you stated before you're doing something you want to be doing. I think it, which is important uh, for quality of life and anybody. And then two, you're, you're doing extremely artistic things, which is also, uh, which is awesome. And you found a way to make some money doing it. Um, does that mean that it's easy? No. Does it mean that you don't put the work in? No. Does it mean that it's like every day is a dream? Like I doubt it. But for those out there that are like, I want to be like Paul, you know, well, grow a beard and go and hunker down in the garage and get it done. Like it's not not possible. You just got to be willing to put in the work. And I think that's an attestment to kind of like what the Jackman brand is. Once again, going going back it maybe maybe business isn't at the forefront, but it's definitely in the balance, which is vitally important to keep the keep the doors open on the shop and on the dream of being a quote unquote artiste (laughs) when it comes down to it. So, um, you know, as we're getting closer to the hour here, uh, we always like to ask our guests for a uh, piece of advice for our audience. And you've been throwing some juicy nuggets out there, but if you could, if you could give one piece of advice, um, what, what would that be? I don't know. I guess I've, I've kind of talked about it a little bit already, but I guess the biggest thing that I've learned in my 28 years of being on, on this earth <laughs> is, is just to be patient. And I think that's, that rings true for everybody. Like people like to call out like, you know, kids these days, they're, they're not patient anymore. Like they're not willing to wait for, uh, uh, for, you know, put the work in to, to get a benefit later. But I think that's for everybody. Um, you know, any, whatever age you are, like with, um, just the way that, that life is set up today, like we're, we're built for instant gratification and wanting stuff like right now and not being patient with it, whether you're uh, 15 years old or you're 65 years old. I think the case is the same um, and, and everyone's in the same position. So just reminding yourself, like I I still stumble on this all the time, um, but just reminding yourself to be patient about something. And it's like, well, I want it now. And it's like, well, maybe you have to work at it for a year, two years, three years. And, you know, eventually you'll get there. Like, like I said, taking little steps uh, to, to a, a longer journey, um, you know, it'll pay off later and, and just remind yourself to be patient, uh, whether it's, it's a long project that you have to put a lot of time into, whether it's, um, you know, building up a YouTube channel like that doesn't happen overnight. And I see a lot of people that get really excited about building up a YouTube channel. Um, and they go in, into it and they're running a hundred percent 
uh, you know, putting all their effort in and they, they give up after a few months cause it's not showing the progress that they want. And it's like, well, you, uh, maybe you put the amount of work in that you should have, but you just didn't wait long enough. You weren't, you weren't patient enough. You didn't, um, you know, kind of, uh, evolve with, with what worked and what didn't work. Like that takes time figuring out what works and, and what doesn't. And, um, just, just patience, I think is, is something that everybody can benefit from, including myself. Yeah. Love that, dude. Patience and perseverance. Uh, I mean, I think what I think we talk with, uh, you know, Alex Steele and he put out like 500 videos or something before he even had, you know, like 10,000 followers. I mean, something like that. Yeah. And I'm totally with you because it's like, oh, yeah, I've got five videos out and, uh, you know, I hadn't hit 10,000 yet. Like, right. Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe put out, you know, another five maybe another 50 and then let's, let's see where you're at. So, uh, right. awesome. Yeah. Not, not guaranteeing success, but I mean, right. the more yeah. patient you are and, that's right. and yeah. the more, the more you uh, put into it, the more chance there is. That's right. Yeah. You might have a hundred videos out and still not have made it, but you won't know until, you know, until you, you keep going. 100. Yeah. And you become that, you know, three year overnight, ex- overnight success. So yeah, I, right. I, I love that part of it because it is, you know, there's, there's usually a tipping point, right? And the tipping point doesn't come instantly. The tipping point becomes from all the work that you've put in. It's like thinking about a scale and you're dropping little grains of sand on there. And if you just looked at that one point when the scale tips because of that last grain of sand, you're like, oh my gosh, it, it was just that one grain of sand. No, it was all the hundreds and thousands of hours and projects that you put in before that. So love that. That's always a a great piece of advice, man. Awesome. Do Paul really enjoyed the conversation and getting into the mind of, of a man who makes a six and a half foot tall (laughs) nutcracker and, and everything else. So we will have links down below to, to all of Paul's work. And, uh, you, you know, if you've got a, a good evening to just enjoy some amazing work, tune into his YouTube channel and just watch all of them. Just, I think that'd be a good thing. Yeah. Thanks guys. I'm, I'm in a super lucky position to be able to do this for a living. It's yes. Amazing. As we all are, man, we love it, dude. Well, thank you so much, man. And, uh, we'll look forward to seeing what comes out next from Jackman works. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm always happy to talk about the formula for success. <laughs> all right, buddy. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Dude, Paul is such a strange, but wonderful combination of creativity and just pure execution. I just, I love seeing and hearing like how much time he puts into his craft, not just on the making side with all of those pallets and breaking them down and all the glue ups, but on the production end too. And like frame by frame, stitching these and masking all these things together. He just, he, he's doing it like nobody else is out there, man. Yeah. He's an absolute savage. I, I, I have to agree. I love how he's taking things that people like genuinely despise like pallet wood and turning them into like a platform for just, complete and utter awesomeness uh what what a what a brilliant mind paul has and he's also like so so skilled too i just i love his entire brand um really fun show really good job i I got a lot out of that one that's one definitely one of my favorites yeah absolutely man and if you want to hear more about paul and go see all his awesome stuff and all the crazy creations he's made uh head over to madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 106 we have we'll have links to his website his instagram and of course his youtube channel as well Yep. And make sure you're following along on Instagram with Made for Profit at Made for Profit to keep up with what's going on uh, and engage with our beautiful following and awesome community. Absolutely, man. Right now we're going to go engage with our patrons. So why don't we go hit that after show, John? Let's do it. <laughs> 